Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Intelligence Matters ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. Brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. Adam Schiff is a member of Congress representing California's 28th Congressional District. He is serving in his 10th term and he is the chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. I just interviewed Adam for a student event at the Michael V. Hayden Center at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. We're going to bring you that conversation after a word from our sponsor. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is Intelligence Matters. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Congressman, it's great to see you again. And it's great that you could join us for this joint Hayden Center and CBS News Intelligence Matters podcast episode. It's sort of two birds with one stone. I really want to spend most of the evening, as I'm sure you do, looking forward rather than looking back, but I do want to ask a couple of questions about the last four years. We were chatting earlier and you used the word difficult. They were difficult four years for both the intelligence community and for the House Intelligence Committee. But I'm wondering, with regard to the intelligence community, if difficult equated to damage, right? Was, was, there, was there real damage done to the IC? If so, what was that? How much? And how do we fix it? Thank you, uh, Michael, for inviting me. And, uh, and thanks for the question. Uh, was there damage? I think the answer is yes. Um, it was multifaceted damage. Probably the most serious damage um, was to the, the reputation of the community for 
um, essentially nonpartisan analysis, the workforce continued doing their job in a professional way. But at, at some of the very highest levels uh, of the IC, including in the office of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, you had appointed officials who were, I think, unquestionably politicizing the intelligence. Uh, and I think they, they cultivated an environment uh, at some of the agencies where the workforce had real concerns about whether an objective analysis would be welcome at the highest levels or whether it would be career ending. Uh, and uh, often when intelligence was shared publicly, uh, it was done so in a way to suit the narrative that the former president wished to tell, uh, rather than a straight recitation of the facts. Uh, and so I think that was deeply damaging to the reputation of the intelligence community, uh, to the functioning of the community. Um, I think it also injured some of our relationships with our overseas partners uh, who had profound concerns whether information they shared would be protected, um, whether information they shared would be politicized. Uh, there was at one point uh, early in the last administration where uh, some of our overseas partners were accused of spying on the then president of the United States. Uh, that does damage to our relationships. Now, uh, as you know, Michael, those relationships are really strong. Uh, they have survived those trials. Uh, but we have work to do, I think, to rebuild within the community the, the um, uh, understanding that um, the agencies need to speak truth to power, whether that's power in the executive or power in the Congress. Uh, you know, as I would uh, often communicate to my intelligence colleagues, I want you to tell me exactly what your best analysis is, whether you think I want to hear it or I don't. Uh, I'm counting on you to do that. And uh, and I know with the the uh, appointments that the Biden administration has made that that kind of independence will be restored. Uh, and uh, and I think it will help improve morale within the workforce. There's also been damage, I think, to to the relationship between the intelligence committees uh, on the Hill and the community. Uh, and I look forward to working to restore that. Um, I'm in particular want to resurrect something I was doing uh, prior to the last four years, which is doing some town halls within the IC. Um, I you know, enjoyed going over to the agency, for example, and doing a town hall with the workforce where you know, they got to ask me questions about what it's like testifying in Congress and what the members are thinking. And, uh, and I remember one of the uh, analysts asking me what keeps me up at night. And I thought, well, the fact you're asking me is going to keep me up at night. Uh, but, uh, but I do think the damage that's been done uh, can all be repaired. And I think given the caliber of people the Biden administration is bringing in at the very top, it can be repaired in short order. There's one piece of damage that I'm worried about long-term, which is because of the actions and words of Donald Trump for four years, there are many Americans who supported him who now see the IC as part of this, quote, deep state, right? Who see the IC not as a defender of America, but as an organization trying to undermine it, right? So how do we, how do we deal with, with that perception that's out there among, among some of our fellow citizens? You know, that's a really good, uh, really good point and a good question. Um, that's gonna be harder to overcome. And of course, it's not a problem confined to the IC. Uh, that, that kind of uh, falsehood or myth has been propagated about the law enforcement community, about the State Department, 
Um, and, you know, it used to take the form of, you know, complaints that any administration might have about the bureaucracy, but, but this deep state um, uh, uh, myth um, is, is deeply damaging. And, and I'm sure you recognize it, uh, Michael, it's what we used to hear in other countries, often the third world countries that were really prone to conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, I, I, I once uh, went to Pakistan and there was this conspiracy theory that I was John Negroponte and I was there on a mission to try to uh, change the, the judgments of the Pakistan Supreme Court uh, in dealing with Musharraf. Uh, and I thought, you know, my God, uh, I'm glad we don't have those kind of crazy conspiracies at home. Well, now we do. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not sure there's a, there's a shortcut to that problem as long as I think Donald Trump is on the political scene and given the fealty that Kevin McCarthy has now pledged to him and Mitch McConnell after that stirring speech he gave on the Senate floor about Trump's responsibility for the insurrection uh, pledged his support for Donald Trump should Donald Trump become the nominee. Uh, so uh, I, I don't see a quick end to that problem particularly. Congressman, you mentioned the new leadership in the IC. So we have Avril Haines as the DNI. We have David Cohen back as Deputy Director of CIA. Bill Burns yesterday had his uh, confirmation hearing, and it appears an almost certainty that he will be confirmed by the Senate. Love to know your thoughts about these folks. Love to know about any interactions you've had so far and what you might have um, advised them. Uh, you know, I think they're all superb choices. Uh, I would love to, to see a Mike Morrell uh, having joined their company uh, or join their company in the future. Um, but, but as you know, these are really quality people. Um, and um, I've had a chance to speak with, with all of them. Um, I think they will put as priority number one, restoring that independence uh, to the intelligence community. Um, but I also like the, the uh, decades of experience that Bill Burns brings in diplomacy. Um, that's an interesting background to bring to the, the CIA. Uh, there are times, I think, where there's a tendency to think, uh, particularly if you've grown up within the IC, that the IC is the answer to every problem. Um, and, you know, frankly, there are also a lot of people in the IC who recognize all too well, it is not the answer to every problem and have to tell presidents of the United States, you can't rely on the IC to do everything. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think that he will bring a very broad perspective of here's the State Department's role Here's the Defense Department's role. Here's USAID's role. Here's the intelligence community role. Um, and, and here's how we need to make sure all of these uh, uh, parts of the government are working together in pursuit of U.S. policy interests. Uh, so um, I'm you know, very excited about the, the experience he brings. Um, and, uh, and I think Dave and, and Avril uh, have you know, such a background within the agency, but also with, with uh, respect to uh, terrorism finance uh, on cyber issues, a lot of you know, the real challenging issues of the day. So uh, I have a lot of confidence uh, in this group um, and, uh, and, and can't wait for them all to be, uh, be seated. Uh, and I'm sure judging from how well you know, the, the love fest with, with uh, uh, Bill Burns that, uh, that will happen soon. Any idea when we might see a worldwide threat here? 
Uh, you know, that's one thing I brought up uh, with uh, each of these uh, designees and appointees, um, the, the, the desire to go back to doing those, to do those on a quarterly basis. Um, they both, uh, they all committed to, to doing that. Uh, so I would imagine fairly soon. Um, and that was a good indication, frankly, the cancellation of those open worldwide threats hearings was a pretty solid indication that the then leadership of the IC, uh, whether it was Grinnell or Ratcliffe or others, um, were not willing to speak truth to power. Um, you know, to his credit, Dan Coates, um, when he was uh, ODNI, spoke forthrightly publicly. And what he said publicly was consistent with what he said privately. Now it ended up forcing him out of his position. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the responsibility you take on in leadership of these agencies. Uh, and, uh, and if a president doesn't want that, then I, fr I think, frankly, you're better off leaving the administration. Uh, so um, I hope to have those uh, worldwide threat hearings, open hearings back on schedule shortly. So for, for the committee, Congressman, you've said repeatedly that you want to get partisanship out of the committee. You want to get back to comedy. I, I'm just wondering how you think you're doing and making progress on that. Do you think it's possible in this era to get politics out of there? How do you see the committee going forward? Well, I certainly hope so. And I've already discussed this with a couple of my Republican colleagues on the committee, including uh, the ranking member, Nunes. Um, I would like to get back to some level of comedy. Uh, I realize it's going to take time. Um, you know, frankly, uh, within the Democratic caucus, there is continuing um, uh, anger, um, among other emotions, over the fact that even after the failed insurrection, so many of our Republican colleagues were back on the House floor trying to overturn the results of the election and propagating the same falsehoods that, uh, that led to that uh, attack on the Capitol. Um, most of the Republicans on the Intelligence Committee um, are among that group. Uh, but nonetheless, the work of the committee has to get done. And so I've been talking to the Republican members about trying to uh, reset. Uh, you know, I will say that, um, and this is a kind of an untold story of the House Intel Committee, uh, even over the last four years where uh, it was so acrimonious uh, on our committee, we nonetheless got the Intelligence Authorization Acts done every year. Um, and so we were able to compartmentalize but what I, what I have urged in the past, and I will urge again, is um, even in those areas where we disagree, whether it was the Russia investigation, the Ukraine investigation, the investigation we're undertaking now into politicization of intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security, uh, let's at least keep those differences within civil limits. Um, and that's my hope. Uh, I'm going to do my part. Um, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, uh, We'll have to decide whether they're interested in that. Uh, I can't do it for both sides. Uh, so I hope they will take me up on it. And I'm wondering if China, you know, given the importance of China, given, given that everybody agrees this is the challenge of the moment, that that could be something that people can rally around and agree on and work together on. Um, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, indeed, in the, um, the last two years of Devin Nunes' chairmanship, um, they did a focus on China in the, the first two years of my chairmanship. I did a focus on China uh, and we produced a, I think, very well received uh, report on China and how 
the Intelligence Committee really needed to reposition itself to deal with the challenge of China. Um, we obviously, and for understandable reasons, have devoted so much uh, within the IC to dealing with the counterterrorism threat, um, and at the same time, uh, have really not sufficiently addressed the rise of China and the extraordinary challenge and threat uh, China poses uh, in practically every field of domain, uh, on the seas, uh, on land, in space, in the cyber realm, um, and uh, and you know a, a particular interest and concern of mine. Uh, indeed, this, the very first hearing I had uh, two years ago as chairman of the Intel Committee was on uh, authoritarianism uh, and how China was exporting its digital uh, totalitarian model with its uh, ubiquitous CCTV camera, its uh, Orwellian uh, named uh, Safe Cities Initiative, um, its use of big data analytics uh, and um, and this was every bit as much of a threat to democracy globally as anything the Russians were doing. Right. Right. So I wanna ask you about some priorities and I wanna start with China. So it's a great transition. And I wanna start with the report that your committee put out, which I thought was terrific and which was bipartisan. It was quite critical of the IC. It said, let me quote here, the IC requires a significant and immediate reprioritization and realignment of resources to meet the threat from Beijing. Um, the report did not come out directly and say that our collection wasn't what it should be, but you could kind of read that between the lines. The report had over a hundred recommendations. I'm wondering how did the IC react to that? Have they made any progress? And what do you consider to be the most important of those recommendations? Uh, you know, I think the IC, reacted very responsibly and respectfully. Uh, and I think it is receptive to the recommendations that we made. I, you know, I thought it was interesting in the executive summary um, that the, the most redacted part of the summary was part of our recommendations, which I took it to me. They thought those were areas where they needed improvement. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't meant to be a criticism uh, as much as it was meant to be constructive. And to you know, just recognize the reality of the, the changing world circumstances. Uh, the the counterterrorism threat, the terrorism threat, has not gone away. Um, we're just going to have to be more efficient in how we address it uh, because the the threat from China is so elevated, and they are a very uh, worthy rival uh, in so many ways. Um, and you know, I, I think that. Uh, in terms of uh, prioritizing the recommendations, uh, it's uh, you know difficult to be specific since some of them I can't go into, but we need to make sure, uh, and this is kind of a cross-cutting challenge that IC has always had, that we have the personnel um, that um, understand the, the China problem set, um, that, that have the linguistic skills. Um, it, it, and it is not sufficient to simply have China expertise in a mission focused on China. It needs to really be diffused throughout the IC uh, so that when you're looking at particular problem sets, mm -hmm. there are people within those um, parts of the agencies with expertise about China. Um, and uh, I think one of the other big challenges we have, and this is uh, again, um, not a criticism, but uh, 
a reflection of Chinese uh, technological sophistication that um, the operating environment within China has become so difficult. Right. Uh, not just in China, uh, it's become more difficult everywhere. Um, you add to that the uh, extraordinary and tragic success of Chinese espionage in terms of stealing data from US agencies and private sector entities, uh, the Chinese ability to assimilate that data, to try to identify who works in the IC and who doesn't work in the IC, um, the, the problem of digital dust um, uh, in a, an increasingly digital world. Uh, and it, it just goes to underscore the breadth and depth of the challenges. So uh, that, that requires a kind of a whole of government, but a whole of IC effort uh, to meet uh, that, that challenge. Uh, and we are up to it. Uh, but it, it will require uh, changing the direction of that big aircraft carrier uh, that we call the IC. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more of our discussion with Congressman Schiff. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Would you say that China is the biggest national security challenge that you've seen in your lifetime? Well, you know, I'm old enough uh, as you are to remember the Soviet Union. So mm -hmm. I don't know that I would say in my lifetime, um, but uh, I would say that um, the, the, the danger from Russia, um, which is a declining uh, power, um, uh, you know, is the danger that you face from a wounded animal that is dangerous because it's wounded mm -hmm. uh, and desperate. Um, and Russia very much sees the world in a zero-sum game with the United States. But, but China is on the rise, uh, and China is already formidable. Um, and, uh, you know, it used to be not that long ago that um, the, the, the way Americans viewed China was they're good at copying our technology. They're good at copying our innovation. They're good at stealing our, our intellectual property. Uh, they're not so good at developing their own. Um, we pointed to our education system as, as a part of the reason why, um, that China was producing uh, individuals that were more inclined to group think uh, than innovation. Uh, well, uh, that was probably an inaccurate stereotype in the past. It's certainly uh, not uh, an apt description in the present. Um, China is a real innovator uh, in every field of domain. And, and so um, it's also clear that while China historically was focused in an inward direction, um, they are increasingly focused in an outward direction. They are increasingly self-confident uh, and increasingly willing to challenge the United States uh, and regional powers um, in the South China Sea and elsewhere. So um, I think that uh, over time, China will only continue to eclipse the threat we face from other places. You know, that's not to obviously diminish the threat posed by Iran and North Korea, but 
there's no other country that poses such an across-the-board challenge as China. Congressman, the second issue I wanted to ask you about is, is your committees doing a deep dive on the coronavirus pandemic and the IC's response to that, reporting on it, et cetera. And so I want to kind of take that and ask kind of a broad question here about sort of non-traditional intelligence topics. So, you know, global health, uh, climate change. How do you think about the IC's role in those kinds of issues? How do you think about the IC's responsibilities versus the responsibilities of other government agencies? How do you think about that? Yeah, I, those are exactly the right questions. And, you know, we've been having an internal debate about this, you know, a, a debate at times between the parties on the committee, a debate sometimes within our party uh, as well. Um, you know, for years, as you know, we have tried to prioritize these, you know, what were called soft threats. Um, and it's been a struggle when it came to climate change, for example. Uh, we have created, you know, a center um, uh, to focus on that issue, but, but it's one of the areas where every year in the Intelligence Authorization Act, we have a fight over climate. Um, the reality is, uh, and it should be just obvious, um, climate's having effect, for example, in sea lanes in the Arctic, um, opening up new possibilities for the Chinese Navy, for the Russian Navy. Resource scarcity in Yemen creates additional national security threats for the United States. The fact that you know, some of our naval bases are underwater and not in a good way uh, is a national security issue and an intel issue. So there's no question that climate is having an impact on our security. Uh, and that, that uh, keeping an eye to those impacts and, and where they will aggravate dangers to the country is an important IC responsibility. But if anything brought home or should have brought home the, the, the need to pay attention to some of these non-traditional threats is the pandemic. And with the pandemic, you know, we continue to have an internal debate uh, as part of the deep dive we're doing on what's the IC's role, what's the IC's lane, um, how do we make sure there's the kind of collaboration between the intelligence community and the public health community and other uh, parts of the U.S. government and, and international organizations to deal with pandemic threats? I think one thing is, is certain. The IC has an important role to play. Um, and, you know, that role, for example, can be in uh, early detection of potential pandemics when host governments may not be interested in transparency, in fact, may be affirmatively trying to hide the magnitude of a problem. Uh, and, you know, just to, you know, uh, allude to public reporting, um, you know, there's public reporting about, uh, you know, how crowded hospitals in Wuhan were, mm -hmm. what the parking lots look like. Well, you can see parking lots from space. Uh, and, you know, if you have good enough uh, AI and you have good, good enough analysts uh, and good enough tipping and queuing, uh, you can uh, look for the signs of potential uh, health crises and pandemics. And uh, as well uh, to learn of how governments are responding and, uh, uh, and how a problem may be migrating. So there is definitely an, in an intelligence community lane here, but at the same time, we have to be careful that agencies that we need to work with on the global um, stage uh, aren't going to view with suspicion our health agencies 
um, with the with the um, false impression that they are now intelligence agencies. Uh, and uh, you know, again, referring to public reporting, for example, about uh, the search for Bin Laden, uh, there's public reporting uh, without commenting on whether it's accurate or not, because frankly, it doesn't matter whether it's accurate or not at one level. Uh, that a vaccination program may have played a role. Um, you know, if there is an intermingling between health issues and intelligence community issues, uh, it can end up degrading uh, an important healthcare effort. So we are in this deep dive trying to figure out how is the IC resourced to focus on this problem set? We have half a million Americans dead. Uh, had that been the result of a terrorist attack, um, you can imagine um, the analysis that we would be undergoing to, to figure out why wasn't the IC better able to um, uh, thwart this. Um, and, you know, and I think it's appropriate to uh, do the same analysis while recognizing the IC is only one part of the tripwire. Uh, and, uh, you know, this gets to another issue, uh, Michael, that you've been deeply involved in, and that is we need to make good use of open source information because some of the best early information on the pandemic was open source information. So um, the, what we hope to do is you know, look at, for example, the National Medical uh, Unit uh, within DOD that has a seminal role in pandemic um, uh, ascertainment um, is very small um, and it's in DOD. Now that may have made sense when when health threats like a pandemic were viewed through a defense prism, does it still make sense? Uh, and uh, and so those are the those are the issues that we're looking at uh, and the questions we're trying to answer. I know that you know um, that I agree 100% with you on open source. Somehow we have to get people in the IC to believe that just because something's not stamped top secret, right, or secret, that it's somehow not as important, right? Um, as I, I think that's a cultural issue we have to get over. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's kind of the flip side, in a way, of the problem we were talking about earlier in, in what a difficult operating environment China is now um, because of all the private data that they have stolen and, the, and their sophistication in terms of technology. Um, there's also now tremendous amounts of open source information. If we uh, know how to look for it, if we know how to find the needles in the, in the huge haystack, uh, and, you know, and one of the things that we're uh, trying to determine there is how is open source treated within the intelligence community? Um, is there a center of excellence or, or do we have a lot of jack of all trades and master of none? Uh, so those are some questions we're trying to answer also. The third issue, Congressman, I wanted to raise was solar winds. As you know, devastating hack. Nobody's talked about it this way, but, but I'm wondering to what extent you know, did the IC miss this? You know, at some point, uh, the Russians were obviously, if it was the Russians, the Russians were planning this. Um, at some point, they began uh, preparations. They carried out those preparations. They carried out the attack. You know, shouldn't CIA, NSA, others have seen that? How do you think about that question? Yeah. Well, uh, I, you know, I think that the, uh, um, I guess I would say a couple of things. First of all, um, there's only so much that we can do with our um, uh, cyber capability to ascertain what our foreign adversaries are doing. So if we're always going to count on the IC to see what our adversaries are doing and stop it before they succeed, 
um, we're going to have a lot of failures and costly failures. Um, we are going to have to up our game in terms of looking at what the Russians and other bad actors are doing and how they're doing it uh, to try to guard against uh, things like solar winds. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. We're going to have to be much better at defense. Uh, and here, I think the IC was aware there was a real vulnerability when it came to the supply chain. Um, but not enough was done, um, I think, within the IC and outside the IC. Uh, not enough has been done in the private sector to shore up and secure the supply chain. Uh, and in particular, as we see with solar winds, when a supply chain vendor who supplies a product that's important to a lot of operating systems sends something that they've authenticated but encrypted, um, it's a really difficult problem set. Uh, and so we've been aware of the problem. It's not like it's a surprise, uh, but we haven't obviously done what needed to be done to guard against it. And, and we're going to have to, and we're going to have to figure out, well, um, uh, what does this mean in terms of how actively involved the IC needs to be in the work of the vendors? Um, what kind of disclosure requirements do we need to make uh, of the private sector when there have been uh, infiltrations and problems? Uh, you probably saw the comments of uh, Microsoft's uh, COO, the testimony recently that, uh, you know, they're being transparent, but, but the intimation was there are other companies that have decided not to because it's not good for business uh, to admit that you've been successfully uh, hacked uh, in any way. Um, and so uh, Senator Warner, I think, has proposed something like a um, uh, like uh, the, the kind of uh, entity in review after a plane crash to determine what went wrong. Uh, and I like that concept very much uh, so that there is a independent analysis and uh, and corrective action uh, taken. Um, we're also going to have to, you know, decide uh, what part of the supply chain do we need to bring in-house. Um, uh, and, of course, look at uh, the whole other aspect of su supply chain problems uh, in supplies that we obtain from overseas. So big problem. Um, yes, big failure uh, in terms of the intelligence community, the private sector. You know, the fact, frankly, we had to learn about this from the private sector. Uh, is also, uh, I think, uh, deeply embarrassing to the intelligence community. Um, so we have a, a lot of work to do. Uh, and then the, the last specific issue I wanted to ask you about is domestic terrorism. So you, have, you are now, you have been the victim of domestic terrorism. And I'm wondering how you think about the IC's role in domestic terrorism, if any, you know, given Fourth Amendment concerns. You know, and actually, uh, um, given you raised the Fourth Amendment issue, let me make one other observation about uh, solar winds. Um, and here, uh, again, referring to public reporting. But if public reporting is accurate that um, the Russians took advantage of utilizing U.S. facilities um, to mount part of its cyber attack, knowing that the authorities we can use domestically are much more limited than the authorities we can use internationally. And we have to figure out that problem too. Um, in terms of the uh, uh, domestic terrorism threat and the IC role, um, you know, clearly there's an intelligence community role uh, when there is a foreign component uh, 
uh, foreign support of domestic bad actors. Um, there's also an intelligence community role um, through the Department of Homeland Security uh, at the FBI uh, in terms of sharing the information that it obtains uh, with law enforcement uh, authorities uh, and making sure that it's done in a timely way, that, um, that the uh, intelligence is shared in a form where it will be paid attention to. Uh, and, uh, you know, on the basis of the public testimony thus far, um, we can see there are real issues and discrepancies about what was the quality state of the intelligence, how much of it was, was shared, if it was shared, was it shared in a format where it, you know, it was sounding the alarm or was it shared in the format of, well, we can find a document we sent to you, so you should have paid attention to it. Um, we're doing an investigation in our committee, uh, working in concert with other committees to determine how much of this was a failure to gather the right intelligence, how much was it a failure to share that intelligence, and how much of it was a failure to act on that intelligence. Um, you know, I, I won't be surprised if uh, there's responsibility to be attributed at every stage of the process, but, uh, but the intelligence community does, consistent with our you know, domestic authorities and constitutional uh, requirements have a role, um, but uh, um, it is uh, not the paramount role, uh, but it is an important one. Maybe the last issue we can talk about before we go to questions is um, this whole idea of the IC and technology. And one of the ways I think about it is there's kind of three things we have to get right. One is we, we have to collect on and, and understand where our adversaries are with regard to technological advancements, right? Two is we have to use technology to do a better job ourselves in the IC. And then three, we have to protect ourselves, right, against the technology that our adversaries are using against us and the operations that we're conducting. And I think you would agree that we need to be on the cutting edge, right, and stay there. And I know you agree with that. How far do we have to go to get there? Are we moving? Are we moving fast enough? Do we have to think about new approaches? Do we have to think about new approaches to the government working with the private sector? How do you think about that big, big problem? Yeah. Well, you know, I think we are on the cutting edge. I don't think we're playing catch up uh, in that respect. Now, there, there are other countries like China that are ahead in certain areas. Uh, but frankly, I think we still maintain the technological advantage but the, the delta is narrowing. Uh, so I think China is making rapid gains. Uh, and if we don't uh, make a renewed investment in research and development, uh, and, and here I'm, I'm speaking not just of the IC, but as a nation, then we will be eclipsed. Uh, and that will have, I think, catastrophic uh, repercussions for us and for the free world. Uh, because we really are in a new uh, battle of ideas, not communism versus capitalism, as much as it is uh, authoritarianism versus democracy. Uh, and so um, we, you know, we can't keep kicking immigrants out of our country who get advanced degrees from Caltech uh, in STEM fields. That's, that's you know, economic and national security suicide. Um, we, we can't keep underinvesting in uh, science and technology and research and development, um, either in the public or private sector, in the private sector, you know, this uh, chase for quarterly profits uh, in which companies aren't incentivized to invest 
in the long term uh, in their research and development. And we've seen a real and precipitous decline in the investment, uh, corporate investment in R&D is catastrophic. Um, you know, one of the profound issues uh, I, I think that we need to grapple with, and it's exemplified by Huawei and ZTE, um, is how does the United States compete um, with China when China is willing to put billions in a state-run enterprise, uh, is willing to essentially uh, be a loss leader, uh, underprice the global market, drive competition out of the market, uh, and then uh, enjoy a monopoly on a technology that is a critical technology uh, like 5G. Um, it's very hard, we have found, uh, in pushing back against Huawei uh, to compete uh, with something with nothing. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we've had a, these conversations, as I've had with our European partners and others, about the security risks uh, that are uh, present in a technology like uh, Huawei's 5G, their response is, um, what's your alternative? Uh, and, uh, and I do think that it's going to force us to, uh, you know, really grapple with a big question that we haven't had to, uh, probably since we felt um, challenged by the Japanese model um, in the 90s. Uh, and that is, um, do we need to explore a different kind of public-private partnership uh, to compete in certain critical technologies to make sure that we always have an American alternative? Um, and, uh, and so... Um, those conversations are happening. I think they're still at a very nascent stage uh, and they need to happen much quicker. That was Congressman Adam Schiff. I'm Micah Morrell. Please join us next week for another episode of Intelligence Matters. Intelligence Matters is sponsored by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. This show is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, Jake Rosen, Paulina Smolinski, and Ariana Freeman. For more from this week's show, visit cbsnews.com. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS Audio. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.